Hello and welcome to a live post-match reaction to France versus England. France have just beaten England 22-16 uh, in a arm wrestle in Paris. Not the most flowing rugby from either side, to be honest, um, but they did the job in the end. Hi, I'm Paul, the guy behind Driving More, a podcast, YouTube channel, website and Twitter account, bringing you the best in rugby predictions and opinion. And joining me this week with a West Country accent is none other than Russ from the uh, Mall Over podcast. How are you doing, sir? Uh, good evening, Paul. Uh, I've been better, in fairness. Um, I was pretty aggravated after the Scottish game and, uh, and now I'm you know, downright desolate. Oh dear! And uh, for those of you watching, sorry, I made uh, made him take off his uh, England jumper because it was rustling on the mic. But uh, it would otherwise have been been nicely been uh, nicely attired um, before that in his Canterbury stash, but uh, but not now. Anyway, um, this was a game. I think it was a lot of a lot of errors in there, um, and the first half, neither side really got fl- um, got got flowing. There was a lot of. Um, a lot of penalties. Neither side seems to sort of put together any kind of phases at, at, at all, really. It was it was quite frankly poor first half. Both sides were were feeling each other out. France defending uh, perfectly for for my mind, um, but England showing no imagination in attack. And if you're just going to have one out runners, one out runners, eventually you're going to get isolated and get turned over, which is what actually happened. And, you know, the, I, I tweeted out France were defending very, very well, which they were. But, you know, I think I could have set a team out to defend against England today. Well, that's, uh, yeah, well, that's, well uh, one of the themes of the, of, for, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people who follow, follow me will be, will have, will be aware of this, the uh, Super Rugby signings. One of the themes of Super Rugby so far is that we've seen a lot of teams in the 80s, perhaps even some into the 70s percentage of um, tackling completion. This French side, though, 95% tackling completion during this game. Only missed seven tackles all game. That's um, that's very good stuff. England, to be fair to them, um, were 90%, a decent rate of tackling there by England. But um, but by France, yeah, no, no, you just didn't get any opportunity for, for, for many line breaks because they, they, they clung on to every single one of their tackles today. Agree, but I think England made it very, very easy for them. England were running at players instead of running at gaps. They're, they did have, they didn't have any dummy runners. They didn't have any angles. They didn't they didn't even have any pace. They were running so from a static position, and which made it incredibly easy for France to defend them. Yeah, no, I was um, as we that's I was going to run, run run through what happened in the game, but um, but let's talk about that first. England were. Very static. I thought Danny Kerr was slow getting the ball away from the the rucks today as well. And if everyone's running from a standing start, you've not got the momentum to to get front football. And if you don't get that front football, you're not going to uh, disrupt a well organised defence like this. I I haven't seen any stats, but I would be surprised if England broke the gain line more than a, a couple of times in the entire of the first half. They did not threaten it whatsoever because the static runners were being stopped at source and you know there, there was no imagination and I just you know France played a very very clever game in the first half they were allowing England to have the ball when it was um, early phases first second third even fourth phase to a certain extent 
But as soon as they sniffed that somebody was going to get isolated, they were in, they were over it and they turned it over. Because um, they, they saw what happened last time against Scotland um, and they, they allowed England almost to gas themselves out and become isolated. Yep. And they, they were um, only two, uh, yeah, France, two clean breaks, England none in that first half, um, really did not. And I think this was part of what some things we've been thinking about with, with England is that the two training ground trained on attack. Uh, you can see there's a move coming off first phase ball. Uh, off, off, the, off the set piece but after that after about two phases you're not sure what they're doing uh, and they and, and they run out of ideas they, they run out of their structure um, and they become easy to to defend uh, and, and France to all their credit did exactly that um, for for this uh, France their own worst enemies and the only reason that um, England were in this game early on was that France lost their first three lineouts yeah and that that's very true and if they if they clung on to those we would have been in deep, deep trouble because you know it allowed us to get possession back when we'd been turned over and, and given penalties away. One thing we also did is we found ourselves offside an incredible amount of times, and it's just so frustrating as a as a fan or as a you know as a pundit in inverted commas, I suppose. It just when you when you see the same things happening over and over and over again, um, it just it makes you wonder what, what they're actually thinking, what the players are thinking about out there. Yeah, I think that the, the, the offsides came more in the second half rather than the first half. Um, but in that first half, it seemed to be, well, England had the ball, gave a penalty, France kicked for the line-out, lost the line-out, England got the ball back again um, and gave up another penalty, France, uh, well, gained some ground, France um, gave a penalty. And if it was in, the, in, in their half, um, then, then Farrell was kicking it, and then Daly also kicked a, a very good kick from in his own half. Yeah, well, he's got he's we know about his monster boot, and and it does you know it adds to his sort of case to being part of the the starting lineup, doesn't it? His ability um, to kick long like that, and you know I don't think Daly necessarily had a bad game. Not a bad game, but also not a great game either. But um, the, both of those first two penalties were from scrums, so it wasn't just the um, the lineout that was failing for France, but also the uh, the, the scrum as well at that point. Uh, then um, the France uh, France for the first time at around about twenty. So that first twenty minutes was all England. Um, France just couldn't get hold of the ball because they just couldn't, couldn't get their set piece working. After that, though, uh, the the lineout seemed to function. After that, they got their lineout functioning. They kept hold of the ball. Um, and came back and got uh, got three penalties got three penalties of their own, generally from England, uh, just turning the ball over or holding on at the ruck, and that was really the story of that first half. Um, the second half though was was was, was different because in the um, in the second half we started off anyway. We just neither side wanting to play in their own half, so we've had a big kicking duel for the first pretty much ten minutes of the second half. Yeah, and again, it was it was a bit of execution from England, and it, it just fell down. You know, it's not it's not how we want to play rugby. It's not how I think Eddie Jones wants them to play. But I think it was just it was just monumentally frustrating, and and that first sort of first few minutes of the second half has almost typified some of England's problems. So it, yeah, we just we just had lacked ideas. And then when we lacked ideas, we lacked uh, execution. 
I thought actually, I thought that, that, that yeah, I mean, both sides for the first five or so minutes just just kicked backwards and forwards. Then France got got uh, did get some territory and got the penalty try. Uh, I, I thought Anthony Watson a bit harsh, hard, hard done by there because yeah, he tackled the guy. The guy was going down a bit, and and yeah, but he just you can't really blame Anthony Watson for having. He had to make had to try and make the tackle, and he just got it slightly wrong. The so yeah, that's nothing against Anthony Watson for for, for for that one really. No, and Paul O'Connell said on commentary, and Brian Moore agreed with him. You know, you can you can see Watson's in the act of making the tackle. He can make the tackle. He's in a position to make the tackle. If someone's sort of going down to score a try, you know, you're in a position, you're in a no-win position. What do you do? Stand there and let him score a try, or do you try and make a grab for him? Um, the the right call, I think. You, you can't argue with the call. He was going to score the try more than likely. If Watson had made the tackle legally, he may well have scored the try. So you know you can't argue with uh, Mr. Piper and uh, and the penalty try. Well, no, the, the way they've got the laws at the moment is if 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 a, if a, if a player uh, creates a penalty in the act of someone scoring a try, you remove that player from the equation and say, right, if that player hadn't been there, would the score, try have been scored? And yes, it would have been. Uh, there was yeah. no one else there to, to 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 make that tackle. Sure, if Watson had made, I understand where Paul O'Connell was coming from. But, I thought, but that's not how the how the laws are written. No, being no, agreed. Agreed. And one, of the, one of the rants we had last night on uh, after after the the Hurricanes Crusaders game is commentators not knowing the laws and explaining things to to to, to, to the public that aren't true. Um, and I know Eddie, I know Eddie Butler gets a, a lot of uh, a lot of flack, but at least he sets um, set Paul Connell right on that one. Yeah, and and it was the right thing. But like you say, when when you've got people or ex-pros or pundits or whatever not knowing exactly what should be happening, it's uh, like you say it gives it gives a false bit of hope or a, a false information to the to the layman that might really not understand what's going on. And then for the next, so that was around about the the about eight, uh, that's on the forty eighth minute. For the next sort of twenty, well, obviously you had ten minutes of, of of Watson in the bin, but for the next sort of twenty minutes, uh, England really fell off, went quiet, um, and their tackle percentage in the first half was ninety two percent, but during that period it dropped down to, into the eighties, and you could see that France were controlling the game, if not looking overly threatening. Yeah, and every time England got the ball, you know they they made errors. There was errors in judgment, errors in execution. Um, they got the ball down in towards the France 22, where France then turned over and broke and could quite easily have, have scored a try had they have uh, had they have not. Chris Robshaw, I think, twice got over the ball um, in the space of sort of seven or eight minutes and, and turned over a penalty, which could well have um, ended the game there and then. But it just it highlighted England's lack of imagination and lack of. Um, almost a plan B. But then in the, t- in the last 10 minutes, they actually started to play well. Um, well you had Sinclair, Haskell. I mean, I've not, I know uh, Ben from our podcast isn't Haskell's biggest fan. Every time he's put on an English shirt, he's, he's done well and he does and he is busy and he is strong. Sinclair, I thought was great when he came on. Um, I mean, even Rigglesworth was getting the ball out of those, of those ruck situations quicker but I think that was to do with the point that the French weren't um, weren't competing as much because they didn't want to give those penalties away. 
um, when they were in a position where they could still be sort of reeled in. Um, I know they gave a couple of penalties away in the last couple of minutes, but you know England had to then hit the line out and score a try. Whereas you know if there was seven or eight minutes to go and they were they were doing that, England could have sort of took three, gone again. I think there are two things. What one of the players who came on and showed energy and added to it. So you Sinclair, Luke Cowan, Dickey, sure he knocked on at the end there, but he was he was energetic and got, was was getting through work. Um, Haskell. But the other thing by bringing Haskell on. Um, and putting Courtney Laws into the second row by bringing on Jonathan Joseph and pushing Farrell into uh, into ten, we actually got back to having what I would be talk about being a more balanced side. Um, and we did we, we whereas we started off with three with three locks, and we were losing the breakdown. Uh, same thing happened against Scotland. We start off with two fly halves and Bentio. Uh, and we have defensive issues a, a, a bit around. I mean, Farrell didn't miss as many tackles, this, didn't miss tackles this week like he has done previously. But again, we didn't look like breaking the line and doing much um, with it, even with the second playmaker. Put in Farrell, Tio, Jonathan, Joseph, and suddenly we looked like we were much more fluid in in, uh, in the back line. Bring on Haskell, or having three back rowers rather than uh, rather than three three locks. We looked more competitive and quick, getting quicker ball at the breakdown. I think all I think that that, that also was part of it. Well, that just that just takes us sort of back to the point of when you talk about having a a, sit, a, a second row playing six. You when you are going through phase after phase after phase, those guys aren't as quick potentially at hitting those rucks. They're all very good players. Don't get me wrong, but you know if you've got uh, an energetic, quick player that's getting up into the ruck, up into the ruck, up into the ruck you're less likely to turn ball over when you've got the, the more cumbersome sort of ball carrying guys. Um, you don't hit as many rucks and, and then you're going to get turned over. The, absolutely. A um, couple of comps, a dark place goes there. Breakdown and liability for England again. Yep, exactly. You can't win a World Cup with that back row. You can't win a Six Nations with that back row. Never mind a World Cup. Um, the, um, to be fair to Jones, injuries have limited his options here. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Um, but we will see if he's waiting for um, I've gone blank. Uh, Brad Shields from the Hurricanes moving to Wasps. Um, will he be on the tour to South Africa straight away uh, in a similar way that um, Piers Francis was uh, picked straight away when he moved to, to, to Saints? Maybe those. Maybe he's waiting waiting for a player. But we don't be waiting for players. We want to be um, picking uh, picking games, uh, picking players now to, to win games. Uh, we, England's got the depth that we don't need to play three locks. We don't want to. Agree, and I think that um, there are some there are some quality sevens out there at the moment playing some very good rugby. There's two at Wasps, Guy Thompson and Jack Willis, have both been playing excellent for Wasps. Um, and I think you know we need to start really looking towards a, a specialist seven playing at seven. Chris Robshaw has been the only real positive for England in these last two defeats. You know. But he he is doing it as a as a six. He can do that same job as a six when you had if you got a mobile seven. Yeah, and he was playing. Uh, he has been playing well. I mean, one of Haskell one of Haskell's points when when we were talking about the unbalanced uh, back row back in when back on the Australia tour two years ago was he said, look, me as a seven, uh, it's not about what it's not necessarily what the seven does. It's about the balance of the three three of us across the back row. Um, putting Underhill, uh, who unfortunately is is injured. Um, would have been uh, whether you put a six or a seven on his back doesn't really matter. Um, 
I think having that, but having that second person to, to to work with Rob Shaw at the breakdown, whether it's a Haskell clearing out, or whether it's a, a someone who, who gets over the ball more, um, I, I don't really mind. But just give, yeah, we need more work at that breakdown, personally. One hundred percent, and 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 it's just getting to that breakdown and and the ability to hit repeated multiple breakdowns over and over and over again, which is what a seven does. He just gets up and he rucks and he gets there and he gets there. We've lacked that because we've only had Rob Shaw pretty much hitting every ruck. Yeah, and to be fair, um, obviously, yeah, Billy Vinopolo has been missing for for this whole one. We've lost Underhill. We've we, Sam Simmons has been in and out, um, and Hughes has been in and out as well. So there has been injuries in that back in the back row there, but um, but still, England have got enough players um, that, that, that we that we shouldn't be talking about. Or that injuries shouldn't be the issue um, for for getting the right balance in the side. Um, other players have played well. I was concerned about Farrell being captain because here we have a player who um, is, is one of these notorious guys who likes training, who likes to practice kicks. Uh, and then to add the extra time of all the press conferences on top of that, I thought you were taking up time on, on away from him at game weekend that he needs to prepare and to get his mind right. But I was wrong. Um, he handled um, himself fine during that game. His kicking was 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 spot on. 100% at posts. His kicking towards the corner was fantastic. Um, and yeah, his, uh, he, he handled being captain very well. He's, he's a world-class player and there's no, there's no real arguments about that. Um, I'd now like to see him given a bit of an extended run in the 10 shirt. Might be slightly controversially. Um, the whole forward Farrell axis has worked brilliantly for England over the last sort of 26 games or so um, in the last two games again with a pack that's slightly struggling uh, to retain their own ball and even go forward um, I think maybe we need to, to go back to a little bit of basics have a, a big guy the TO type at 12 distributor at 10 and uh, yeah Farrell, Farrell is, is a class act and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I have no doubts yeah and then and I, I agree and then also a sort of prince of centres um, you know Jonathan Joseph kind of style uh, twinkle feet outside of those guys to 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 help to help them um, have that balance in the back row again in that back line when we've had previously Ford Farrell Jamie Joseph May Daly um, Brown Watson now none of those players um, can can get you over the game line uh, for, with static ball and power um, To's the only one really and I'd like to, and he is a twelve he's not a he's not a thirteen. Yeah. Um, for my mind, uh, so yeah, so and that's the, just a hangover from the Lions, isn't it? That's <laughs> um, well, I don't know about that, but um, I would say that the uh, the, the Ford Farrell thing hasn't really worked since well, it uh, it worked up until the Lions and it hasn't worked since then, uh, mainly in November because players were too tired, um, but now, uh, perhaps because it's been found out, and as you say, the, the pack isn't, um, isn't, isn't as go forward um, as it was. So um, we've done talked about so the the England players that have played well in in just those in basically those two which was Farrell and um, and, and Rob Shaw are the main two. What about French players that uh, that impressed you today? Uh, Machino, he's he is a class act. He's very stereotypically French nine, isn't he? Straight out of the um, uh, the Yashvili, uh, maybe a little bit more energy than Yashvili and uh, the other guy whose name has completely escaped me now. Um, he. He ran the show for them today. And surprisingly, when I saw um, that they decided to pick Tran Duke at 10, I've never, 
rated Trandic whatsoever. But I thought he had a really, really good game today. He kicked well. He um, he orchestrated play for the French. He got it wide when it needed to go wide. He kept it tight when it needed to keep tight. Um, and and he was a lot less flaky than he has been. Yep. Uh, also, Grusso uh, on the wing um, came up with 110 metres carrying, which is t- nearly twice as much as anybody else in the in the entire game. He also had a very good game and was hard to tackle, putting down players. Uh, so uh, impressed with him. The um, and then on the, um, the on the defensive side of things, again their front row, um, Piro and uh, Gudardo getting through the tackles uh, and, and solid defensively, ten tackles each for those two. The and actually, sorry, we should we should also talk defensively on the English side because I think Jamie George wasn't the rampaging hooker that we thought we were, that, that, that we kind of that, that his image is. But with 18 tackles, he was he was and with Courtney Laws with 17, and obviously George didn't last the whole game. He was one of the mainstays of the England England defence. He got through he got through an immense amount of work, and you can't you know in an England team that, that didn't really show much with regards to going forward with ball in hand. Um, I don't know you know what people would expect from Jamie George in in that situation. He. You know, like you say, he made his tackles. He carried when he when he was there to carry. Uh, he hit his lineouts. England scrum was was decent. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, I don't see, I don't see a massive issue with Jamie George at all. I wasn't saying issue. I'm just saying he wasn't. Uh, saying he didn't stand out in the way we'd ex- as, as, as the way we perhaps expect. But he did a lot of. As you say he got through a lot of work uh, and had a good game. Uh, but just perhaps a, a quieter game. Than uh, uh, for, for, with it because he didn't he didn't make that uh, that forty meter run uh, that we know do he you, had. Do you think that then is is to do slightly with the the starters and finishers type of thing? You know, you can look like you are making well, you you are making that forty yard run against a tired defence potentially or some tired players when you're fresh. Um, you just look at Sinclair and Haskell, for instance. Um, he, he's not had many starts for England. Um, I know when he's playing for Saracens, he he tends to to start more, but yeah, I think you know, the the level that he's playing at there is is a lot different to Six Nations in the in the part de France or whatever. Um, absolutely, there's none of that. I think there's also an element of England didn't get any front football, and if you're not going to get front football, you're not making breaks. Nobody made big breaks until that last ten minutes for for England. So. From that point of view, no, I, I think uh, there's, there's it's not so much starting and finishing; it's more how the, the style of play and how England just weren't getting any front football and any breaks. But yeah, um, but really, and I guess we should. Uh, and Luke Cowan is someone that I've um, had a disagreement with um, with Ben from your podcast on when Luke Cowan played for got got his last England cap at um, at Twickenham. His arrows were were, were, were appalling, uh, and I. I from my point of view, I think that was nerves or, or excitement, adrenaline taking over. Today, okay, he missed that that long one, uh, and Paul O'Connell quite rightly said, "Why are you why are you throwing to the back of the line out five meters out with with with, with time up? You shouldn't be even trying to do that." Um, but that was the only one. But otherwise, apart from that, his line out was pretty good today. Yeah, that and that wouldn't that wouldn't even be his call necessarily, would it? So you know, he's just acting on on the instructions that he's being presented with. So, um, yeah, I mean, without any sort of extra bias, he's been exceptional this season since he came back from, from injury. 
his his work around the park and his his physicality. He's another one that gets over the ball. He's another one who likes to carry. He likes to get involved. He likes to be really in the thick of the action. And uh, yeah, I mean, an on form of firing Luke Kamadiki is is a good news for England. Absolutely. Um, a couple of comments from the chat. Maybe France not so poor as many of us think. Um, very unlucky against Ireland uh, and away against Scotland. Every team seems to lose um, these days. Uh, so, the I think for me, the, the the big question marks about France coming into this Six Nations was um, was the fact they had a new coach, and he didn't have any permanent assistant coaches, and it was a brand new team. It wasn't thinking that France was poor; it was thinking that France were rebuilding and starting from scratch. But they seem to have uh, have got, a, got got their game plan together. Um, very quickly, considering the uh, considering that sort of that, that amount of change that's been going on. Oh, I mean, you you think about it. France were in relative disarray coming into the tournament, weren't they? They they were all over the place with the the firing of the coach, and it was all just very very messy. Um, they they've got better as the tournament's gone on. Yes, they were unlucky against against Ireland, but Ireland gave a masterclass in how to how to grind out a victory and how to to shut down a game of rugby. Um, against the Scots, you know, it was it was two, I say poor sides, but it was too, it was it was very sort of ebb and flow against Scotland in a in a tight game where France's I think fitness to a certain extent let them down a little bit, but they have improved. And but I said it um, after the game, the last round of games, Bastrano is making an incredible amount of difference in that twelve channel, not just. What everyone thought, you know, Bastrano, give it to Bastrano and he's 20-odd stone to rumble up the middle. He he can do that, but he's so much more than that. And what he offers in defence is is massive. Well, yeah, actually playing that in the, in the 13 channel rather than, rather than the uh, the 12 channel, at, um, or the jersey on his back anyway. Um, yeah, eight, 12 tackles, didn't miss any. Uh, the amount of times he was over the ball and creating turnovers or getting penalties. Well, actually, mainly getting penalties. We don't, we don't actually see the ball actually turned over very often nowadays, um, in both in this game and also the the Italy game as well. Um, yeah, no, he has been a uh, it's been a real eye opener uh, to to see that to see his his defence his, his his work rate more than anything else because uh, that's not what you associate him with. Um, yeah, and and him and Dumaru seem to be forming quite a good partnership as well. Decent amount of understanding. And they're both bloody big blokes. <laughs> uh, yes, so you have to run around them, not through them. Uh, and actually, the, the wingers did a very good job of folding in, uh, meaning that the only way you're going to get around the French defence was if you threw uh, if a miss pass over the top. At which case, at which point, it's floated, it's slow, uh, and they can clean up as well. So it's going to be a matter of can someone figure out how to get round that the get past that winger who comes in and cuts off the last two players because they were doing that an awful lot today. Um, I, th- I think. Yeah, and they did it well. Yep, absolutely. Um, Dusty Pink says, and Ireland is the new number two in the world rankings poll. Well, we'll see um, that when it comes out on Monday. Um, I've not looked at the uh, um, at the calculations yet, but we'll um, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Ireland have been playing well. I've not I've not seen the Ireland game yet. I'll catch up on that one. Um, but yeah, uh, Ireland. Congratulations to Ireland for winning the Six Nations. Um, and obviously, next up they come to Twickenham, and on current form, you've got to say that uh, England probably uh, uh, well, Ireland going to be favourites going into that game. 
Oh, very much so. And, and if England played like the way they played in the last two games, Ireland will wipe the floor with them. Yep. And uh, any final points? I think we've, I've run through everything that's on my on, on, on my uh, my list of, uh, <laughs> of match notes. Um, um, the only thing I will say is, is England did when England did have a, an opportunity to to get through. Bentio got through, and then well. In that situation, I'd want Bentio to back himself against the last defender. You, you'd want him to back himself, and it felt it almost felt like there was a, a bit of a confidence issue there for Tio throwing a, the big wide pass instead of instead of keeping hold of it and and trying to run over the fullback. And that and that would be my only my only point, which was you know I think England have taken a real confidence hit, and how they bounce back from this could be uh, could be. Cause, cause for concern if they, if they don't bounce back in the right way. Absolutely. Yep, yeah, that's very true. Uh, I also think perhaps he didn't have the right running. The support lines daily was just too far away from him uh, on that break. He needs to get closer, really, because as soon as people are throwing long, lofted passes like that, uh, it, it, they're, they're slow passes and it gives the defence time to rearrange. Uh, so... Uh, I'd have, well, yeah, I'd like, I think you should, you should, you need to try and get a guy off either shoulder so he can go to make the defenders think which way it's going to go. But that way, everyone, the two players were both to his left. You knew where the ball was going uh, and it meant that they, the, the defenders could, could, could cover across. Um, thank you very much for your time. It has been an absolute, uh, uh, absolute uh, pleasure once again. Now, everyone... And um, please do sign up to the More Over um, podcast uh, with the covering English rugby with a West Country accent. And Russ, give us your West Country dulcet tones and tell us tell people how, how they can find you. Uh, we are at More Over Podcast on Twitter. We are More Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook. We are on SoundCloud. So if you listen to, to Paul's show on SoundCloud, we're on there. Uh, Apple Podcasts, so you can find us all over the world through your, your Apple iPhone. Also, Acast. If you're uh, if you're so inclined, there's all sorts of podcatchers. We're on all of them: the good ones, the bad ones, and the indifferent ones. Uh, podcatchers, that's how it is. So yes, and I've been Paul, the guy behind Driving Mall. Uh, if you're watching the YouTube recording, my face is there, so please do subscribe. And up there is a box to my latest video. Uh, if you're watching this podcast, well, you're already on a podcasting app, so subscribe and give us a five star review. Other stars are available, but why would you want to? And uh, so thank you everyone very much. And uh, to use the More Over podcast um, outro, go well. Go well.